Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. ED Senior Reporter Matt Mace here from our usual West Sussex studio. Coming up on today's show, I officially challenged Prince Charles to an SDG off when I head to London to speak to the founder of Gaming for Good company, Playmob, to discuss how they're using gamification to raise awareness for the global goals. So what we do is we have a network of existing games that we work with. So we work with the likes of Angry Birds by Rovio, mm-hmm. um, Cut the Rope by Zeptolab. So games that have big audiences already. And we um, integrate content for causes and brands um, so that players can learn about a topic. So they can learn about climate change, they can learn about the oceans, and they can learn about how to take action. Before we head to a house party hosted by IKEA to find out how the retailer is helping its consumers create their own low carbon transition. And of course we can be a hands-off retailer that provides you know, solutions, products, but actually we also see that the value that we can offer and we can also learn from is how we work with customers mm. to understand what does make a difference around behaviour change. Well, here we are. That November chill is settling in, um, but I'm joined by ED reporter George Ogilby today, who um, is going to warm us up with some big announcements in the sustainability world. George, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Matt. Uh, distinctly colder than the last time I think we are in this room. I'd be very surprised if I haven't contracted pneumonia by the time we finish this show, but otherwise I'm still good. Yeah, we're, we're balancing that business aspect of do we turn the heaters on or do we save energy by wearing more layers? Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's it's been a while since we we last sat in this room, but I think it's it's a great time to do so. Um, we've got COP twenty three, of course, happening in Bonn right now. Um, George, I know you've been covering that, and of course, Blue Planet Two is back on the screens. Um, that brilliant documentary series that somehow manages to like seamlessly tr- transition from gender changing fish to current plastic ocean crisis. It's a oh, great one to watch. Um, George, you had the chance to watch it yet, or is, is your uh, mind firmly on Bonn? Um, mind is on Bonn, but I have seen the first episode of Blue Planet, and uh, it was great to see um, some of the amazing shots that they captured there. Mm. Um, yeah, you mentioned the transgender fish. Yeah, so it's really good to see them promoting the uh, the rights of the LGBT community in the in the fish world. Mm, yeah, and it's, it's I always find it good to see when when that kind of documentary comes on and, and they don't spend too much time alluding to it. I don't think they want to come across as preachy but the amount of coverage from outside the sector like my friends will talk about it and it's a real awareness raiser in that sense so that's great to see. Um, COP23 of course is the uh, is the interesting one. What's what is going on in Bonn? I know you've done a, a bit of coverage um, for our site this weekend, and you're kind of our, our eyes and ears on the ground albeit from afar so so what can we what can we expect? That's right. So um, COP23, um, it's the annual climate summit from the UN. So we've got thousands of delegates from uh, virtually every country in the world <clears throat> descending upon Bonn. Essentially what it is this year is working on a rule book for the implementation of Paris. So mm-hmm. it's, it's more admin stuff. It's not very sexy. Yeah. But it, there's um, some there's very important things being done. So essentially, I think some of the main talking points will be around the need for, you know, international standards to ensure that carbon emissions uh, are reached, you know, ensure that each nation's efforts are com- like compared against each other. Mm. Um, I think it's also a, a timely opportunity for countries to you know, just take stock, reaffirm commitments made in Paris two years ago, and set, you know, more ambitious goals, hopefully, um, to curb emissions after 2020. Interestingly, it's the first uh, UN climate summit since... Um, President Trump announced proposals to pull the of US course, out yeah. of the historic deal. Um, some interesting rumblings have been going on the, the last uh, 48 hours or so. We understand that the White House has confirmed that US delegates will endorse coal, natural gas, and renewable and um, sorry, nuclear energy as a solution to climate change. Of course, um, those, those well-versed climate solutions. Yeah. I mean, I do find it quite staggering, staggering that this case could be made with all the, the mounting scientific evidence at our disposal. Mm. But... Anyway, I think it's good to look at the positives, not all doom and gloom. Um, we're expecting, as with COP22 last year, there's going to be a large business community in attendance um, at Bonn looking to reassert existing leadership and climate action. Good to hear. So we're expecting loads of pledges, hopefully, um, 
companies looking to source renewable energy, improve their transition through more shifts in uh, clean energy. So yeah, we're we're hopeful. We're not expectant. We're hopeful. I think that seems to be the message. Um, and we're hoping by you know working with governments and setting ambitious targets that companies at Bonn will be able to build on this Paris vision, building the resilient low carbon economy. Setting, I think that would be crucial helping to you know drive that compelling message to leaders you know that the, the business community is here and now we need to see yeah step up their own efforts yeah i think cop 23 is is an interesting one it's it's sandwiched in between cop 22 in, in marrakesh which gave us our first real flavor of, of what would happen since paris and it was just after that that u.s announcement as, as well so that had that big ramification to it and it's, it's going to be kind of followed on by um, the next COP um, in 2018 in, in Poland, which is when that rule book fish has to come mm. into play. So it, it kind of feels like it's like, like an appetizer almost. It's not that main course yet. It's it's like the World Cup qualifiers, you know, England versus Liechtenstein has to happen, but it's not as exciting as, as when you finally get there to your, to your England, Germany's and stuff like that. I'm personally coming out thinking it's going to be quite a key, but in the first few days there's been quite a lot by the sounds of it going on there so like you said that that hopeful aspect of it is good because you need to turn those hopes into expectations mm-hmm. um but i do have a cop related question for you george okay um when and where was the first cop conference oh matt <laughs> put you on the spot you right are there. testing me <laughs> um is there a possibility to have a clue um how can i do this yes yeah, so it was hosted in a city when we mentioned the football, that against one of the nations, England are playing in the friendly this week. Okay. I would say... Is it Germany? It is, yeah. It wasn't in Bonn, was it? No, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been a perfect cycle if it was, but no. Berlin, I'm Berlin, yep. Uh, in 1995, um, that wasn't just to test you for something. This is going somewhere. Um, the reason I ask that is because I want to kind of highlight how far the sustainability agenda has come in that way. Not only have we now got a big global goal in place, um, but we're all striving towards it. And of course, around that time was when the first smartphone, I mean, if you saw it today, you wouldn't really call it a smartphone, but back then is what it was called. That's when that came out. And I don't think many delegates in Berlin would have been playing uh, mobile games on their phone. They might be in Bonn, obviously during the downtimes, not during the actual, uh, actual conference. But it's essentially showing how far technology's moved on and as a result how far the sustainability agenda has moved on. Um, essentially gaming is a massive industry now, it's why there's so many terrible YouTube channels about Call of Duty and, and FIFA Ultimate Team packs. But I know one woman who wants to tap into the potential of this gaming market. Um, Jude Oa is um, a hugely well-respected female tech founder who has been listed in the top 100 women in games list by NCV, and her company that she founded, Playmob, was named by Sir Richard Branson, no less, as one to watch. So she's making a lot of noise and, and moves in, in this place. She's also an MBE, and she has met Prince Charles, hence the hence the hence uh, my challenge to him. Uh, he, of course, is a, a fellow climate enthusiast. Now, Playmob has done some work in the past with the likes of Angry Birds or mobile apps to raise awareness to really kind of critical sustainability issues through gamification. And they since collaborated with Project Everyone to use gaming to essentially achieve the sustainable development goals. That's that's the aim. And I went to London recently to, to chat to Jude and essentially just hear about this vision, have it explained to me what it can do, what it hopes to do, but also, you know, discuss whether businesses should be using gamification to kind of, you know, really strengthen their own sustainability credentials. So um, I hope you do enjoy this. It was a a really interesting chat that kind of got really into blue sky thinking about how the future can be driven by um, all these sorts of technologies. It's really interesting. So here's that interview in full. I'm joined here today by the chief executive of Playmob, Jude um, Oa. Now, Jude, thank you very much for um, inviting me um, up to your offices on a, on a lovely day. It was a good day yeah, to get out of this. Yeah, so yeah, thank you very much for that. We've had a lot of guests on this show. As mentioned, we've got IKEA coming up later on um, that our readers know a lot about. I'm not entirely sure many of our readers would have come across Playmob, or if they have, 
maybe they wouldn't know what Playmob necessarily does. Mm-hmm. So I suppose as a nice introduction um, for, our, for our listeners, can you just describe a bit about what Playmob's been up to in that area of gamification? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we definitely aren't as big as IKEA. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're a small, um, small startup in London and we are a gaming for good platform. So what we do is we have a network of existing games that we work with. So we work with the likes of Angry Birds by Rovio, mm-hmm. um, Cut the Rope by Zeptolab. So games that have big audiences already. And we um, integrate content for causes and brands um, so that players can learn about a topic. So they can learn about climate change, they can learn about the oceans, and they can learn about how to take action. So really it's about giving brands and NGOs a way to reach volumes of people and to tell a story and then inspire action to do something about it. Uh, and and how, does, how does that go? I, I imagine, I mean, gaming is an extremely immersive kind of form of entertainment, so I imagine it, there's, there's real scope to have that kind of impression, but how do you do it in, in a, I wouldn't say non-intrusive because it's important subjects mm-hmm. you're bringing up, but in a way that doesn't distract the gamer from essentially what they're there to play. Yeah, so that, that's really, really important. And um, I mean, typically we work in mobile games because of the nature of the audience that we're, we're um, working with. Um, and on mobile games, you're 98% engaged. And when you compare that to other media formats like TV or even on your computer, you're, you're typically multitasking when you're on these other screens. But on mobile, you're highly immersed, you're completely engaged. So it's really important that you catch people at the right time because we want to keep them engaged in the content that we insert as well. So. Typically, what we do is we take natural breaks within the game. So imagine you're playing Angry Birds, you get to the end of the level, you see your score, and then a new level will appear. Or it's a, a playable ad, or we call them mini-games. So it's a little mini-game which is about one minute to two minutes long. Mm-hmm. And we insert it in between levels, so we, we, we take that real estate in between levels. So it's a natural break for the player. Um, and players also see it as um, a bit of bonus content as well, something new, something exciting. Um, so they, they'll play the level and they can cross, there's a little cross as well, so if they do want to play it, they can just skip back and go straight into the game. Um, but typically we get between 47 and 54% engagement rates, so you're looking at about, you know, you know one in two players are, are, playing to the, are playing the mini game and playing to the end, which is really, really high. So, so we're really catching people at the right time um, with messages as well that are important, educational and fun. And I, I suppose that's key. I, I try not to play too many mobile games, um, mainly because I I think I get addicted to them. I, <laughs> I had a serious kind of candy crush addiction uh-huh. back in the day. Um, so I, I try and stick there. But I do remember these these pop-ups at the end, which was essentially just trying to drive you towards another game. I, yeah. I would feel a lot more comfortable if I knew the the reasoning behind um, the, I get to the end of the level and the next thing is educational and, and serves probably a better purpose exactly. than time and stuff but it's a really interesting platform to push it on um so how how did you get the idea to i mean you mentioned the immersion rates but how did you get this idea to go okay environment sustainability climate change and onto a gamification platform how did those two ideas mesh yeah so they, they seem like two completely unlikely worlds to ever exactly, yeah. combine <laughs> but actually the idea came about in it was 2010 so there was uh, there's a game studio called zynga and they make Farmville. So mm-hmm. Farmville at the time, it's crazy to think that even in 2010, it, we weren't really playing mobile games then, it was mainly Facebook games. Mm. So on Facebook, um, Farmville was massive, you know, because of social sharing, play with your friends. And um, in 2010, the Haiti earthquake happened and Zynga had a call to action within Farmville for players to buy an item. It was a seed that you can buy. So you've got your virtual farm, You've got your virtual tractor, your virtual items, you can buy a virtual pack of seeds. Um, so they had a special seed pack that you can buy and a percentage just going back to help the victims of the earthquake. Um, about 50% of the proceeds was going um, uh, to the Red Cross and a number of other charities. And in five days they raised um, $1.5 million. So it was a huge amount of money raised. And it was that that really gave me the idea of, you know, if we can take all the time that we spend playing games or all the games that we play, and time that, turn that into time well spent, then uh, we can make a big impact. There was also the same year, I guess there were a couple of things that happened. Um, uh, Jane McGonagall, who's a, a games researcher, mm-hmm. um, she wrote a book called Reality is Broken. And um, she'd worked at, at the time we were spending about three billion hours per week playing games. And she said if we got to 21 billion hours per week, we could start solving some of the world's biggest problems like climate change, um, obesity, poverty. 
Um, right now, we, we're on about 16 billion hours per week that we play, so we're getting oh, wow. close to yeah. 21 billion. Um, so it was really like all those uh, different factors that came together that made me think, you know, if we were to combine this, this is really powerful. And I had a background in previous to 2010, I'd spent about 10 years working on games for education and training. Okay. And I'd seen like the really positive impact that games can make on, on player behaviour um, and on the educational front as well, how we can inspire and motivate to take action. Um, so I'd been doing a lot of it beforehand and I guess it was, a, a you know, all those things come together and in 2011 I thought if we can create a platform that can make this really simple, we should be able to make a big impact. Our, our listeners are acutely aware of sustainability environmental issues, to, probably to a technical level as well. Um, I know for a fact when I go to the pub and talk to my friends about some of this stuff, their kind of eyes gloss over uh-huh. a, a little bit, but saying that, you know, they they pick up these kind of new things from from different sources so they they know all about kind of plastic waste issue Mm. going on and um, because it's been in the news and as soon as a big disaster kind of natural disaster hits they know all more about climate change as well do you do you notice any kind of spikes in in engagement around these times or or, you know i I hate to say use a natural disaster as a a kind of Uh, point to push out but do these do these events provide opportunity to really drive engagement and raise awareness further? Well, we've um, the, the way that we look at it is we, we're, we're quite proactive. We're, mm. Most of the campaigns we've worked on are, are very proactive, so they're not driven by a, a, dis- a disaster happening. Um, but um, I mean, in terms of what we've, of, of, we've observed, I mean, similar to yourself, you know, you see, you know, we've worked on a, a, um, a, I think they were on one of your podcasts before, We Are the Oceans. Yeah. Um, so we did the gaming campaigns with them, the first one about plastics, the second one about the small island development states. And when we did the plastics one, that was back in April. Mm. And um, we noticed after that, you know, there was a, a, a big kind of push on the topic of plastics soon after. So you do kind of notice there's a lot of movement in a space. Um, and then more people are talking about it, your friends start to talk about it. Um, I mean, even topics like the Global Goals, who, um, you know, maybe if, if you're not in that space, a lot of people don't really know about it. Um, you know, we've seen a, you know, a massive rise in the number of people that are now coming to us to say, or even some of my friends to say, you know, we know you work, we've seen you working on the Global Goals, we know what they are now. So, so yeah, we're, we're, not te- we're not driven by natural, well, we're not driven by disasters. Mm. Um, unless it's for a fundraiser and we, we, we want to mobilise okay, and do yeah. something about it quickly, but when it's about education or awareness, um, we tend to be more proactive. Which I think is probably the, the best way yeah, of, of doing it. And, I mean, I, I've I played this game briefly um, as part of, part of the research. I thought I would be really good at it. I wasn't. Uh, there was <laughs> it's few, really hard, Yeah, isn't it? there was a few it's questions. It's hard, yeah. I think it's because, you know, in the world of sustainability, we are... And I imagine for any business that looks at the SDGs, they have certain goals that they align to. And as as a media outlet, we cover the goals that are relevant to our um, our readership. So you know, clean energy for all uh, yeah. resource consumption, that kind of stuff. So yeah, some of the questions I was just I don't have a yeah, clue yeah. what this is. Um, and so it was really educational for me. But what I want to know is. What's the? I mean, is there an goal here in terms of driving games? Once people know a bit more about mm. these SDGs, what can mm. what can this kind of platform do then? So yeah, so the game, um, the, the global goals game was really yeah, to raise awareness and test people's knowledge because we can gather insight as well to see what people understand about each of the goals, and um, at the end of the game, you can actually pick your favourite goal. So then, or the, or the or the goal that you support the most. Mm. So you can pick a goal and then. Um, and then once you pick your goal, then we, we give people uh, one of three pledges they can pick. So you can, if you picked climate change, we would give people three really simple pledges, which they could pick one off. Mm-hmm. And it was either switch off your lights, eat red, less red meat, or um, do car sharing. So just really simple things. It's not going to solve climate change, but I think every, our whole um, opinion is every little helps at mass. Um, so really we're trying to give people a way to see... Um, what they can do themselves, like day to day, rather than the, the topics being so overwhelming. Um, and with global goals, I think there's, you know, each of the goals themselves lend themselves really well to, to create an interesting content to tell a story, to encourage more people to take action, to inspire action. Um, but there are a few things that we're working on for next year around the global goals as a whole, um, which we can't say, say too much about <laughs> now, but um, we'll be able to show more next year. I'll definitely be uh, on the lookout and. 
I'll, I'll be playing the game to, to brush up on my skills so I'm ready yeah. for the next kind of a batch and that's it's, it. a, it's a good tip if you learn learn the goals inside out and then you'll, you'll smash this next one <laughs> okay <brilliant. laughs> it's great that um, gamification can be used to raise awareness not to the general public for mm. a really broad issue um, but for a business is there potential for, for gamification to in, engage their consumers on perhaps some of their sustainability mm. um, achievements initiatives struggles Definitely, because I mean, if you think about gamification, you know, gamification is using game, gaming techniques outside of a game, so using other elements. So we use it as part of daily life anyway. If you think about, um, you know, nectar reward points mm. or air miles, and air miles you've got, you can collect points, you get different tiers, so you level up. Um, so around using gamification for sustainability, it really helps to um, drive community behaviour and that competitiveness. Um, to reach certain goals. So depending on what the objective is of the company, um, I think there's really interesting things that you can do. Um, I know we were talking earlier about augmented reality and how you can use other technologies around gamification um, to teach sustainability. Mm. Um, you know, looking at VR, for example, and immersing people in the environment um, to get them more kind of emotionally connected to the issue. Um, or augmented reality, you know, to be able to walk around and appreciate the environment that they're in. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, I think with new technologies now, there's even more scope to, to gamify and kind of get your customers or get your partners to work with you to reach common goals. And I imagine as a consumer-facing concept, it's it's got a real behaviour change mm-hmm. drive to it as well. I, I've picked up habits through apps which gamify, you know, oh, it's, it's like a Fitbit essentially, isn't it? Yeah, in, exactly. in that sense, oh, uh-huh. you know, get your steps up. People mm-hmm. inadvertently change their behaviours as a... As a result, so for for a business perspective, um, I know a lot of them perhaps struggle with getting the consumer on board with sustainability. They they expect it to be a product to be green. They expect it to do certain things, but if you put it in, on a shelf or something next to a, a regular thing, price still dominates. So is is gamification a potential way around that? Like, could you have um, similar to the next points, kind of green points? Oh, you've you've bought X, Y, and Z from this section. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that's def- that definitely could work. So you know, you get more points the more green or recyclable products the, or packaging that you buy, or mm. um, what you do with your uh, packaging. And if, if you recycle um, and recycle the right things, you know, I think one of the things that we're interested in is helping consumers understand what the different labels and symbols mean, um, and you can turn that into a game as well. Um, so there's all different things you can do with content products, um, yeah, and kind of helping to drive that community goal. And um, when I was doing my, my research for this one, um, I stumbled across an article with a, mm. with a YouTube video that was posted by you around this kind of augmented reality uh-huh. gamification aspect, which was um, all about this, this guy that kind of went on a date and, and scored points for his, for his date. So I, in an ideal world, there could be a future there where you're doing your weekly shop and you, you see something on a basket, oh, that's fair trade, that's FFC certified, mm. and it goes points, and then mm. a retailer or something could potentially... But I imagine for now, during its limitations, it's predominantly an awareness uh, tool. Yeah, yeah, mainly for driving awareness and educating uh, consumers. Um, but yeah, you know, when we take it next, you know, gamification is definitely a big part of, of how we see the model playing out. And also, when I was um, doing my research, I say research is one of the first things that pops up when you when you uh, search for your name. But um, you obviously, of course, have, have an MBA, mm. um, and there's a there's a nice picture of you online um, shaking hands with Prince Charles, who you know is another big kind of climate yeah. activist. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how how did how did um, that go about? What did you get the MBA for? So I got it for um, services to entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, so yeah, I got it last February. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the palace and th- that's when I met Prince Charles. But yeah, no, he's a big obviously advocate of climate change. And we spoke, I felt like I was talking to him for a while. You know, you've got a few hundred people in the room watching you. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, wow. He was um, asking a lot about, he thought Playmob was an interesting concept. He knows so much about each person that goes up. Um, so we had a pretty in-depth conversation. Mm. At one point, I thought we were doing a deal because um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he started asking about you know, the charities we work with and the, and the brands that we work with, um, how much money we'd raised, the impact that we'd made. He was asking about how, how, how partners get involved, what's the process, mm. and I was standing at the front of the room thinking, you know, maybe we should take this offline. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, really interesting conversation. He's obviously interested in 
um, how you can use new technology for um, for climate change. Um, I'd like to think as well. He probably you know after other work sits at sits in Buckingham Palace or wherever where he actually lives now. Yeah. Gets on the SDG game and uh, and and quizzes himself. Oh yeah, brilliant! I'd love to see what his score is. We need a little leaderboard to see where he sits in that. Yeah, if you like the Top Gear thing with all the instead of yeah. all the car times, so <laughs> exactly. I, I imagine Prince Charles would be above me on on the score in that in that respect. Um, Judith, it's been a really um, interesting in chat, and I don't want to keep you from um, your next appointment. But but just to finish off, I suppose with a with a real broad question, and you mentioned you've got some stuff in the future which you can't quite comment on, but. Um, I noticed in the information we got sent across, Playmore as a company wants to do more around the um, the global goals. So, is that specifically related to the kind of gamification platforms? Is is there kind of does Playmore have a, a CSR strategy in that sense that it will tailor towards the SDGs? Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly that. So we uh, we align all of our campaigns to the global goals because when the global goals came out, they gave business such a good um, framework. Um, to follow with all of the indicators as well so everything that we do aligns to the indicators and aligns to the goals um, so it means that when we run a campaign we can see where it fits and we can track our progress um, because each each campaign that we do delivers impact as well so there's two types of impact there's when we raise awareness and we educate it's changing behaviours and then we also take a percentage of the, the, the spend on the game and media and give that back to impact on the ground um, and we show the player, um, you know, if they if they play some of our content, they can see if they're planting a tree or providing a meal, or um, you know, helping disadvantaged disadvantaged people go on trips of a lifetime. So it's very tangible outputs that we can show to people. But to be able to align that to a goal um, is part of what we do as a business. Mm. Um, so we've basically signed up to that. It it gives us a really nice structure to work within, and also for um, you know, we we can identify the partners that we want to work with. So, um, I mean, game developers are, 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 are understanding more about the goals, but we're able to help them deliver the goals because, you know, they're the enabler um, to work with brands and causes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's part of our DNA now. And just, just off the back of that, actually, I, I've, it's just kind of dawned on me that the SDGs are almost, in, in certain circles, becoming a common language and a way to, exactly. a yeah. way to promote you know your business purpose uh-huh. you have uh, an external framework driven by the UN driven yeah. by national governments to say oh if we do this it means we're contributing to x y and z mm. um looking ahead do you do you see I mean I know you I know Playmob have done stuff with the kind of um plastic waste in the oceans yeah. the island the island kind of stuff um are there any areas that perhaps you you haven't you know you haven't got kind of stokes in the fire yet but in regards to sustainability and climate change do you think this could have a really good aspect for gamification mm. so I think I think we definitely want to do more around climate change mm. so that'll be um, we've got a few things that we're looking at for next year um, but I just think you know climate change is such a big topic to be able to break that down and help consumers understand what it means um, you know what does it mean for the Antarctic for example yeah. or um, like we definitely want to do more about plastics I think the whole labelling um, has to be clearer um, so that's something we'd like to look at for next year um, Oh, it's, yeah, it's just such a massive topic, but um, or helping consumers understand more of the data around climate change. There's so many you know big reports out there that you know the person on the street just will pick up and read. You know how do we distill that down into something Definitely. that's you know fun and two minutes long just to plant the seeds to encourage tangential learning. Um, but yeah, climate change is definitely a big one for us next year. I, I can tell just from talking to you that you you're excited about how how maybe excited for how big an issue climate change is the wrong sentence but you're you're you know you're excited about how, how much action can be done in this kind of area how how does uh, a company like Playmob then focus on certain areas because there's there's so many ways and so many areas you could cover how do you decide this is one we're going for next this is the one we need to kind of push out to the audience is it, is it a case of uh the consumers or the audience will know more about this so this mm. get more traction or is it a case of they need to know more about this, so this is the area we're going to help them. Yeah, I guess there's a couple of things. I mean, it's um, so obviously there's uh, Mission Twenty Twenty, which is about you know the um, the kind of point of no return by twenty twenty. So that's mm-hmm. kind of an an immediate one, which is why we're all passionate about that. Yeah. And and yeah, like you said, you know it's such a big topic. Maybe we're problem solvers as well, so it's a big problem for us to dive into and you know see how gaming can help. 
Yeah, but you're right. There's, I mean, there's there's 17 goals. It's a lot for a small business to try and focus on. Um, so it's a mixture. I mean, we either have um, brands come to us and um, tell us about their strategy and then see how gaming can fit into that, or if it's they're, that they're trying to reach millennials and Gen Z, which are the biggest biggest portion of gamers, mm. um, or um, you know, we're also looking into the space of equality and um, you know, being a being a woman in tech, being a woman in gaming passionate about that too so I guess we've got a mixture of kind of running with like things that we're passionate about and finding that common interest with our partners I think that's where the magic happens um, we're looking at education as well which we're all very passionate about too um, but yeah we, we, we're, we're not running with every single of the 17 goals in detail but we'll maybe look at three or four for next year um, but it's all about finding that right alignment I definitely think it's the right way to go is it has to be something that you're intrinsically yeah, passionate yeah, about otherwise yeah. there's only a certain way you can really mm. you know drum up that interest this is an important matter isn't it I suppose exactly. um, yeah. well, thank you um, so much for your time today um, I'm going to let you get on the rest of your day and I'm going to go and, and play this SDG game <laughs> so when <laughs> I inevitably score. meet Prince Charles I can say I've got a better score than him because I'm sure that's just months away from happening okay. but uh, do you thank you very much for your time no thank you so yeah, there you have it. Um, all that's left to do now is for my people to contact Prince Charles's people and we could very soon be bringing you uh, I, what I think would probably be the first ever SDG off live on, on the Stainable Business Cover podcast. I, I wouldn't hold your breath though. Um, but it's still a really unique interview and a great example of how the comms aspect of sustainability is evolving over the years. Um, and we could, you know, we could soon be in a world where augmented reality and virtual reality are used as an everyday thing by businesses to, to show their impact on, on climate. You know, we've seen, you can do stuff, walk around the Amazon rainforest from your own house already, stuff with the ice caps I'm sure will be on the way. So, you know, sky's the limit for that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and speaking of evolution, uh, George, I'm right in thinking, um, you, got, you got sent on a very little special trip down memory lane um, with Ikea recently. Uh, to look at how their own sustainability strategy has evolved over the decades. That's right, Matt. Um, so just a few weeks ago now, I was uh, invited along to a house party. Uh, you might be thinking, what do you mean by a house party? Yeah, nice to see, nice to see your, uh, your, your work is going to a great lengths here and you're not just off on a jolly. But No, as much as I'd like to think it was for recreation, <laughs> this, was a, this was strictly business. Okay. Um, so... To mark 30 years in Britain, IKEA has um, transformed a London house to create living rooms through the decades. And as I mentioned, I was fortunate enough to go and attend. Essentially what it is, each floor is decorated to represent uh, a, a living room from recent decades. And as also an insight into what IKEA thinks the future might be. So the first floor, get given the tour, and it's like a 1980s room, so quintessential 80s, you know, you've got the, the Jane Fonda workout video okay. to um, David Bowie vinyls on the uh, on the bookcase, and then get taken up all these flights of stairs uh, up to the top floor, which is where they see the future going, and it's um, very interesting. Um, it's uh, like clinical lighting and uh, you know, bleached furniture. It looks more like a, a dentist surgery than, Ooh, a, right. than a, a living room. But yeah, some some very interesting features. Um, so light panels, uh, motion activated by sensors. You've got wireless charging furniture, smart mirrors, which you know you can you can tell the time, weather, what's on your to do list. <laughs> One of the um, the the most interesting features, or eye catching at least, was like the greenery covered walls. Okay. Um, so there's like hydroponics, um, specially cultivated plants that can be grown indoors um, if you don't have a garden. But um, you might be thinking, what's all this got to do about sustainability? Of course. Um, well. These are all good features. There is a lot of things going on in the uh, room for the future about sustainability. Um, so we've got 3D printed chairs, for example. Okay. The greenery uh, walls, another example of that. And while I was up in um, this top floor, I spoke to IKEA Sustainability Manager for UK and Ireland, uh, Heger Sibjordson. Again, another difficult last name <laughs> in the ED podcast. Yeah. Um, but I think I got that one right. So I spoke to Hager about IKEA's wide range in sustainability commitments over the last, you know, thirty years and where they aim to go in the future. So it's a it's a wide ranging chat from uh, IKEA's 
movement into domestic energy mm-hmm. storage space to its um, circular economy approach to waste management. Um, and a little disclaimer for our listeners, you'll have to excuse the weird, eerie-style X-Files uh, <laughs> music in the background, which apparently is going to be played in a continuous loop in living rooms in the future. Oh, God, the living room in the future <laughs> is, uh, is essentially an eerie trip down a, down a cold country lane with an alien waiting to adopt you, is it? According to Ikea. Oh, that's interesting. I was getting, getting real kind of, you know, Temple of the Monkey King vibes from your <laughs> description there, which is a nice niche reference for anyone that gets that different room with a different kind of theme to it. Um, really, you know, novel idea, I suppose, to, to raise awareness to this. Let's see what this uh, this chat's up to. Unfortunately, um, it's a podcast, it's audio only, so we won't be able to see George throwing any of his dance moves, or, or maybe that's a, a fortunate thing, but... Um, Either way, here's that interview in full. So, IKEA's got 30 years of business coming up in the UK. So how do you celebrate the big 3-0? Well, of course, a week-long house party. Yes, yeah, so IKEA throw in a series of free immersive house parties by taking over space in Soho and transforming each of the four floors into living rooms from different decades. So each level, dedicated to a different decade, ranges through 80s through to the current day and even taking a look at the future. Um, So what does this all have to do with sustainability, you may be asking? Well, over the last 30 years, IKEA has played a key role in contributing to the society we live in today. From creating jobs and improving working conditions in retail to demonstrating that being sustainable also makes good business sense. So I'm joined by IKEA's UK and Ireland Sustainability Manager, Hege Sabjornsson, correct? Absolutely. Uh, At this IKEA house party to discuss the retailer's many sustainability achievements as well as looking ahead to the next 30 years by how IKEA plans to bring sustainability to its customers. So thanks for inviting me along today, Hege. It's a wonderfully strange experience (laughs) to be attending a house party at half three on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I could certainly think of worse places to be. Um, so yeah, I've just enjoyed going through the four floors. Um, I think the 80s was pretty cool, the 90s as well. I can see all like the minimalist de- designs you've got, the whole Britpop uh, <laughs> era. Um, any rooms that stand out in particular for you? I think I want to probably show my age now. But when I say that, I really enjoy the 80s floor. <laughs> no, I was quite young in the 80s, but no, I think... Um, just the whole experience of all the floors going mm. through it. And also there's a, for those who, who aren't here, but who haven't seen it, there's a timeline on the walls as you go up the house. And of course, then you come up to the home of the future, which is the floor we're on now, mm. which is, I think by far my favorite room. And uh, it just shows the evolution of our story. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, we're in a really interesting room now. I'm sure our listeners can hear this uh, <laughs> sort of eerie music going on in the background. We've got a, uh, see a living wall going on here and uh, well it's just some very interesting features um, so yeah I mean this is this is apparently this is going to be the future so I look forward to it <laughs> <laughs> the future is bright clearly. Mm, mm, definitely um, so the reason we're here to talk uh, today is about IKEA's leading role in sustainability over the last 30 years um, so over the last few years this has been led by the People and Planet Positive Sustainability mm-hmm. Strategy, which has you know, almost treble, trebled the sales from the Sustainable Life at Home products mm-hmm. designed to promote sustainable living to customers. There's been some great achievements over the last couple of years. You know, a uh, company sent zero waste to landfill across its UK and Ireland facilities last year. Uh, recently unveiled ambitious plans to cut the amount of food waste in half in its operations by 2020. Uh, and last week, I think I'm right in saying uh, the company revealed that it now owns more wind turbines than stores. That's right. Um, as it closes on its target to become energy independent by mm-hmm. 2020. So, I mean, you've got all these incredible You're achievements. You're giving away all my best lines. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anything that stands out? Any, any particular like, proud achievements for you? <laughs> oh, you took all my best points. No, not really, not really. No, I think, I think it's important to actually... For me, it's to highlight that this isn't something that's just a recent development. Mm. You know, this is really at the DNA, the core of the business. And certainly one of the reasons I'm with IKEA is the vision, which is that we are here to create a better everyday life for the many people. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was there right from the beginning. And also taking care of resources, doing more with less, caring for people. That, that was there then. So this isn't, that's not something that's been added later on. Mm. And this idea that actually providing affordable, um, quality, sustainably made, beautiful um, home furnishing uh, for the many mm. 
is still there, you know, and that's still how we are changing the, the culture around how people live at home, how we add value to life at home. So that for me is, is something that I'm immensely proud of as a company because it's not something we've added mm. later on. And I think um, if I was to highlight anything in particular, it's pretty difficult. I think it's actually the consistent commitment over time. Uh, which actually takes quite a lot, you know, that says a lot about the company and the fact that we live by our values. Mm. And um, I find that the vision around how we are truly committed to providing a better life for people at home or enabling better life at home is something we use day to day at work. You know, we really do hold that up as a kind of a North Star. So, for example, it's easy to think that as a retailer we'd go, well, we're going to sell more of this product. Mm. Uh, but actually the question we ask ourselves is, Yes, but does it make everyday life better? And what does better mean? And that leads me to talking a bit about the future, because of course, as you mentioned, we have our core range. So there is, um, we have an approach to design we call democratic design. And um, I'm pointing at a vase here now, which obviously the, the listeners can't see, but there is the vase just in front of me, which is part of the PS range. And that is made from recycled off-cut glass. So part of our approach to design is these four, no, sorry, five principles that are form, function, uh, sustainability, quality, and, and affordability. And um, that's everything we do. But then we have this whole range that you were referring to around products that are designed to proactively enable a better life at home around being sustainable and healthier. Mm. So some of the products are here. So we're looking at a hydroponics range over there. So, um, you know, we're, we're launching new products that will help people grow their own food. But of course, uh, a few years back, we went 100% in on LED, mm. so that every product, that lighting product that we um, sell is LED. So by default, if you buy uh, a lamp or a bulb from us, it's a, a more sustainable product, if you like. Mm -hmm. So this idea that we are launching products onto the market that are making living more sustainable, life in a day-to-day -day more affordable, more desirable, easy, um, and it's not something just for the few. Like mm. That's something I'm really proud of, because it is truly for the many, this idea of democratic approach. It's not some elitist sort of expensive thing up here, but it's truly something that's available. And of course, um, just as a kind of a, a recent uh, moment that was very exciting, partly also because I was uh, also in my role then, was when we launched our uh, storage battery for mm. home solar. You know, this is pretty uh, exciting stuff. And uh, we'd had solar panels for a while, but we also knew from research that since the feed-in tariff had obviously uh, reduced in its, uh, um, yeah, the value of that, and uh, had an impact on how desirable maybe, or how even how money-saving uh, solar panels were, launching a battery, which we did in August, had this huge uh, uplift in interest and also reached just the fact that it was newsworthy it was very exciting and the fact that people are ready to think like this and wanting to buy battery storage and become energy independent themselves mm. so um yeah as you can tell probably there's a lot of things i'm very proud of and i could continue talking about it um there's also our internal project called live largo mm. which at our how we are engaging with customers around behavior change mm. And I, I want to particularly highlight that because that's unique to the UK. And of course, we can be a hands-off retailer that provides you know, solutions, products, but actually we also see that the value that we can offer and we can also learn from is how we work with customers mm. to understand what does make a difference around behavior change, how do customers and people um, work with our products, how can we improve. So this Live Largon project, in a nutshell, uh, which is now in its third year, is that people can apply to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and when this year we had 8,000 applications, so a huge amount of interest. Um, and then about 250 people are then part of a year-long program where we give 300 pounds where they can invest that in the area of those products that I mentioned that they want, for example, LED or growing your own food. And then we follow that for a year to really track uh, energy saved, money saved, behavior change. Um, and what we are seeing, and this is really exciting, is that one positive or a few positive actions spark other. Mm. And of course, when you build society around it, society, sorry, community around it as well, something as simple as a Facebook group where yeah. people can share and, and share stories and other products, it really has this kind of movement effect, sparks more positive change. Mm. So that's, that's really exciting, because I think that's where we are truly um, 
working towards transforming that life at home experience mm. with, with people out there. Mm. I suppose it is those sort of little nudges, isn't it, towards the consumers and it gets them really thinking about how they can become more sustainable in their behaviour. And You mentioned a few of the stuff you've got going on there, like the energy storage. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, I suppose, typical of you looking to create that well, behaviour change with the consumers, which is good for the environment, good for their wallets. Um, but also good, good for our wallets too. Good for, good for <laughs> business as well, because, yeah. I mean, you mentioned like, if you create this behaviour change, it pays dividends because I mean you've your sustainable at life home products the sales have trebled in the last few uh, years so I mean I suppose it's a win-win situation yeah absolutely and I think this is a really important and clear message for us and there's no doubt that our sustainability strategy or our people and planet approach it's not a sort of a tag on tagged on nice to do or something that we do because of legislation or Paris Agreement or whatever of course we want to do that for that reason as well mm. but it's pure it makes pure good business sense and particularly around being, um, you know, about around being home and life at home. And we're now sitting in this room, you know, which is about uh, life in the future and home in the future. Mm. We know that um, living conditions are getting smaller. People are living in cities. You know, there's this huge urbanization. So living conditions are changing. And younger um, people are also less interested in owning. So it makes sense that we move with that. It, it just happens to be that it also could have a really positive impact on uh, managing resources better, like circular economy. So you know, we're looking at the moment at exploring leasing models and subscription service where it's more about accessing, for example, a kitchen as service rather than necessarily owning it. Uh, but then we also have uh, we, we uh, launched a kitchen product last year, which was uh, the Kungsbacker Kitchen, yeah. which was made from the kitchen fronts for this really nice black kitchen. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. But um, fronts were made from upcycled PET bottles, mm. and the wooden wooden shells were made from um, upcycled wood. So that in itself doesn't make it circular, but it's that step in the right direction. And of mm. course, if we match that with a circular service around kitchens as service, we can take it back once it's at the end of its life, if, mm. you, if you see what I mean. So, so there's so much opportunity, uh, and rather than seeing it as a barrier or as a, as a negative, it's, it's absolutely uh, an opportunity for new business, it's an opportunity to add uh, value in new ways to people's lives, and to move with the times, because mm. ultimately this is where it's going. And mm. rather than try and resist that, we want to go with that flow and, and obviously work with it. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, you've moved to champion the circular economy in the last few years. You've got, the, uh, you know, inventing the new range of kitchen fronts with the PET bottles. Um, we also launched um, the textile take-back pilot, which mm -hmm. was uh, offering consumers in Cardiff mm -hmm. uh, the option to hand in unwanted purchases to be reused, repaired, recycled. I think items ranging from clothing to soft furnishings were all viable in this scheme. Um, so that launched about a year ago. Thinking. Yeah, no, it was actually earlier this year. Okay. It was um, so we already we've already had a, a furniture take back service for a while, mm. which means that when you buy, if you buy a mattress or a sofa or a large item or white goods from us, we will take your old one away, and it doesn't just have to be an IKEA product. And of course, that makes business sense because particularly in cities, people don't have cars. You know, mm. they want want to move their old goods, but they also want to make sure that they're uh, responsibly disposed of or recycled. So we, at, uh, in the UK, we work with a charity called Furniture Reuse Network. Yeah. So we then make sure that any item that is um, in a condition that it can be reused gets distributed through local charities. So you know, again, we secure that second life or third life for people that need it, and then anything else gets recycled. So there was already this, you know, we already we, we were already doing that to an extent with our products, but we were looking at, of course. Um, this is already way, uh, well underway on the, uh, retail, on the high street for fashion retailers, closing the loop on textiles and everything else. But we, were, we had a big commercial focus on relaunching our textile offer this year, commercially, as a business. And we also wanted to look at then, that means, and through the research we found that a lot of customers have just idle textiles lying around the home that's no longer in use. Mm. So we could use that as a prompt to then uh, encourage customers to bring that back to the store. And we partnered with YMCA in Cardiff to then make the more, you know, um, second, third life for those products that generate income from the, for the charity. Mm -hmm. but, but equally, if someone was not ready to purchase new textiles or maybe wasn't in a financial situation to purchase new textiles, we would 
been offering workshops to learn how to repurpose textiles mm -hmm. or how to upcycle your own. So there's there's this commitment to enable again the quality of life at home as opposed to just you know looking at sales. Mm -hmm. But equally, the real closing the loop happens once we've you know analyzed all the textiles coming through, understand the the quantities over time, the quality over time, and how and if we can turn that back into new products. So you're not really closing the loop. And that's, that's a longer piece of work. That will take a bit longer, but we are exploring that as well. But in the interim, you know, this, as you say, this, this pilot that we did was to really look at, is there an appetite? Does this make sense for customers? And so far, we've, we've uh, I think in the first six weeks, we've got half a ton of textiles, okay. generally in pretty good condition. Mm. So it's also part of shifting the mindset of both customers and and co-workers in the business. Mm. You know, circular economy is still something, even saying that term is very sort of top lines, quite abstract. So to get people on this journey of stop of moving away from the linear way of thinking mm. and thinking resource, you know, waste is resource and materials resource and waste nothing, that's a journey in itself. So mm. I, for me, any initiatives that we're doing in this space is part of awareness raising, education, exploring business opportunities, etc. etc. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting it, trying to create this behaviour change with resources. And you've also got this ambitious food waste target, mm. which we mentioned, that has to half food waste in your operations by 2020. Exactly. I'm interested to know how you plan to do that, because, I mean, that must be incredibly difficult, making sure that everyone, employees, you know, are on board with this initiative. Well, I think it's, um, it's this is a good example of... Um, well, there are obviously, it's complex and many things at play, but I think the good, good example here is the partnership with Winner, which is the um, young technology startup, actually, a purpose-led startup that brings new technology to the table, literally, with us and, you know, with skills and expertise and technology that we didn't have. So it shows the importance of partnerships. It shows the importance of, of thinking, you know, uh, what are the new tools and technologies that we can use? So when you say, yes, of course it's challenging, but actually we see that already, um, it varies depending on store and the sites, but between 20 to 40%, we've managed to reduce our food waste already mm. uh, because we've introduced the awareness, the tools, the tracking, and so we are well underway to reach our target by 2020. Mm. But of course, once we've, once we've gotten there, we want to get beyond. And also we want to reduce, not just to reduce the food waste, but the reason that we're, you know, the, the, the volume in um, full stop. Yeah. But also post-consumer food waste as well. So at the moment, there's a kind of a certain scope. But uh, it also shows that when you give something full attention and you really want to tackle it, um, we can. Mm. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I could, we're, we're in this room now. It's a sort of, um, you know, futuristic looking uh, place. It's got, this is like a visualization of how living rooms could soon look and feel. So we've got, you know, th 3D printed chairs, and we've got the wall of light panels that illuminate as people walking past. And Growing walls. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, if, if, how, if we're looking at how this can translate into, you know, sustainability in the future, um, there's some really interesting things that I've been seeing IKEA have been doing recently in terms of uh, augmented reality. Um, I think it's announced this IKEA place, where yeah, yeah. Um, an augmented reality app that lets consumers design their rooms uh, by virtually testing test driving furniture and home goods, it's a fascinating concept. Mm -hmm. um, so is this sort of the route that will be taken now to drive sustainability? And if so, how does that happen? Well, I think the, the whole movement around innovation and technology isn't specific to sustainability. That's, mm. I think that's the general direction, uh, well, sounds very bold, probably society as a whole, yeah. and business and retail within that. But I think, of course, we can use technology as a way to enhance experiences and bring things alive. Mm. But what we do know is that we'll be continuing to build on what we're doing today, which is very much around providing the, you know, the affordable, desirable, well-designed products and services that help people live better yeah. and more sustainable. So things like, you know, if we imagine this uh, room we're sitting in now, if this was a home, you know, it would have solar panels and battery storage. It would be energy independent. Yeah. It would grow its own food. It would have all the sort of setup to minimize your footprint, individual footprint on the planet, but equally optimize for health. So we will continue to do that, you know, in our in our product ranges. But I think there is um, 
it links also to the future of how we meet customers. So next year we're opening, end of next year, we're opening our IKEA Greenwich store, mm -hmm. which is our leading sustainable store in Greenwich, on the Greenwich Peninsula. And that's an area, that's a, a, that's a, a place where we have really pushed ourselves on anything to do with, everything to do with sustainability and healthy living and how we meet customers, how we operate, but equally the purpose of the store. Mm. So, you know, we've designed in spaces which is more about providing a meeting place. So mm. we have, we know London as a, as a city and, and the peninsula in particular, very dense, densely populated. People have limited space, limited public space. Mm. Uh, we also know that uh, people in London uh, often are working from outside their homes, they're freelancers, they're flexible workers. So we've created mutual, uh, quite unique spaces. So this roof, uh, we have a roof garden with a pavilion, mm. uh, which means that we can host and enable people to use the space in multiple ways. It means that we can offer meeting spaces for community groups so they can use this public, this, this uh, space for their own use, but equally we can host opportunities and talks and really skill share. And we've also um, got a bigger area around um, where we will look at upcycling and mending and repairing. So we're, we're exploring having a, a repair cafe, which is very much aligned with this whole kind of movement towards people wanting to do IKEA hacks and you know personalizing their own furniture and even DIY. You know, it's funny how I certainly have friends who are digital designers and suddenly they all want to get in there and work in a workshop and make their own you know, furniture out of wood. Mm. So there's this whole kind of movement towards getting more involved mm. and making things. And that actually really supports this whole um, direction around mending, repairing, upcycling and, and providing a longer life for many products as well. Mm. So um, a long answer to your question, but I think technology plays a role, but nevertheless we should continue to do what we do best. Mm which is to use design and um, design products for homes that will really support a better life. Mm. So th this, um, you mentioned this um, store which has been launched in Greenwich and is based on sustainable design. I'm interested to know if, if you've um, probably thought about the possibility for there to be uh, you know, like EV a charging infrastructure because I know that's a big thing at the moment isn't it? Is that absolutely. something that's been um, thought about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely spot on. So of course sustainable travel, transport, mobility is a huge area, not just for Greenwich but obviously every all in IKEA and UK. Um, we also signed up the EV100 which yeah. means that we're committed to electric delivery vehicles. At the moment with our, all our sites have uh, EV charging and obviously with our expansion plans, with all the new stores we're building, we're designing in even more. We're also designing in um, charging for our delivery vehicles. So we have to kind of future-proof as well. Mm. And with uh, in Greenwich, of course, even um, focusing even more. So there will have 20 uh, electrical charging points. So actually for Greenwich, which is uh, hugely ambitious, we've gone all in and said it should be 100% of our co-workers, and that's 500 co-workers in that store, to travel to work by public transport or sustainable transport. And that's, uh, you know, we do laugh slightly nervously when we, when we talk about this, because we know it's slightly, um, it's very ambitious. But of course, and this is something that Steve Howard was uh, uh, very clear on if you say you go all in you go all in yeah. and it's uh, much easier to just uh, you know go all in and do your best and reach 95% and then just set 95 and somehow half of people find themselves in that 5% you know so so that's a really ambitious target and we also have um, a big ambition around enabling customers to travel by public transport to the store as well but of course we can't expect uh, customers to travel to the IKEA store by say bike if we can't deliver their products in a really neat way um, without a car. So that goes hand in hand. How we deliver products to people's homes, in what time frame, which is something we're quite challenged on today. Mm. Um, you know, you can't do the sustainability travel bit without looking at the holistic picture. Mm. So it also forces us to work very well together and actually look at the holistic picture of, of the business. So, uh, no, very um, big, exciting ambitions on that as well. Mm. So, I mean, exciting ambitions in general. Mm. We've talked a wide range of uh, things from resource efficiency to low carbon uh, transportation. What excites you the most now going forward, looking to next 30 years? Where, where is IKEA heading as a sustainability <laughs> strategy? Oh, well, I'm a geek about this stuff, so all of it excites <laughs> me, clearly. But um, 
I think um, what's, what's exciting and what excites me is, first of all, that we have such a good base to build on. We're not perfect. We have you know, far to go in lots of areas, but we have a good base. And I think because of the DNA of the company and the vision, we also have a kind of a right in some respect to, to go and do what we do. But I think um, we're just launching the new people and plan a positive strategy in uh, early, uh, early next year. So that will set up and we've all been designing into that. We've sort of ported that and we've uh, fed into that and been part of creating it. So that's really great. Um, and I know that when that comes out, it's setting out an even broader and even more ambitious 10 year direction. So that's fantastic. And I can't wait to share that um, internally and externally. But uh, part of that is also there's a real clear chapter change right now where the new CEO and other new senior managers in the business are very clear about it's time for innovation, it's time mm. for renewal, it's time to really bring energy to change and circular economy and circ uh, circular IKEA is very much part of that ambition and part of that energy and part of that commitment. So it's going to be probably a bit fast and furious, which will <laughs> be both exciting and probably sometimes a little bit exhausting, but for all the good reasons. But there's a real commitment now, real energy and real drive to overcoming whatever barriers might be there and really enable this big change. Mm. And um, it's also seen as an absolutely crucial thing that we need to do uh, to be here for, you know, not just the next two, one or two generations, but several generations. Mm. Well, it sounds like exciting times ahead. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, that's uh, all now. So thank you very much for giving your time up, Hege, today. It's been a fascinating chat. Um, I think now we'll uh, go enjoy cocktails, canopies, and some great music. Uh, Brilliant. How does that sound? Thank you. Let's do that. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean, you only need to search our site, which nice sneaky little plug there, um, to see just how much IKEA is doing in sustainability. Mm. They're they're really up there with the the Unilevers, aren't they? Mm. Um, in in that sense of how much they're doing, and I think they're certainly at the forefront of businesses giving those benefits to the consumers. There's going to be some interesting developments in the, in the future. Um, I think IKEA are aiming for all their new retail outlets to have um, charging infrastructure mm -hmm. for electric vehicles, which will be obviously a huge benefit uh, in the upcoming years when we make that acceleration to the EV market. That's just one example of how uh, IKEA are trying to get not just their own efforts in line with you know the, the sustainability agenda, but also that or their consumers and it's it's very interesting to see how this is going to turn out in the next few years. Definitely. IKEA seems to have a, a new announcement every month mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm sure it won't be long till we, till we get the next update on that. So we're almost at the end um, to this episode. I think it's gone it's gone quite swimmingly considering we're, we're relatively rusty you know mm. the, the outlets had to form for a little bit um, but just before we do leave I think there's there's time to discuss what's happened away from Bonn um, in, the, in the past couple of weeks, uh, in both in the worlds of news and, and innovation. So, George, let's start with you. Amidst all the Bond stuff, what, what news story has, has caught your eye? Okay, so for my uh, so-called sustainability story of the week, we're going to be taking a dip in the Thames. Oh, okay. Uh, nice weather for it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not literally, because I wouldn't recommend that. Um, not a literal sense, but what we're going to be doing is uh, taking a trip down the Thames on a boat, okay. And a boat made from recycled plastic, in fact. Um, so, just under a week ago now, as a, a, a boat, as I mentioned, recycled plastic took its maiden voyage um, from London's Canary Wharf docks, and it's part of this, you know, awareness raising campaign mm. about uh, the rising levels of plastic pollution in uh, Britain's air, uh, waterways, in fact. Uh, designed by environmental campaign group Hubbub, uh, the, the vessel will be used for plastic fishing trips to remove litter from the docks with the um, collected recyclable material used to build similar docks, uh, boats across the UK. Mm. The campaign received support from um, companies such as Sky, they've got obviously their ocean rescue yeah, campaign. And um, in fact, uh, lo local school children round the docks who were given the opportunity to uh, board the boat for its first trip alongside Environment Minister Therese Coffey. I'm sure the school children were delighted to spend some <laughs> quality time with the Environment Minister. But obviously, this highlights a serious issue. You know, we've had some damning evidence from various organisations. You know, Ellen MacArthur Foundation predicts there could be more plastic than fish mm. in the ocean by 2050. Yeah, I, I always like Hubbub 
articles. They're they're one of the best at, at taking an issue and really visualising it. I remember I've done a lot of stuff on on their their behaviour change campaigns around Westminster with the like giant cigarettes to to raise awareness of obviously cigarette butts. Yeah. The little lounges they they put across the streets. Yeah. Um, so that whole idea you wouldn't miss in your lounge. Um, they've done stuff with like voting ashtrays, which are becoming quite quite popular now. Mm. Um, po- like poles that would would sing to you, I think, if you put your waist in there or or something like that. And obviously the coffee cup um, stuff there, they're really driving that. And you know, I think the German uh, Ministry for the Environment want to like talk to them about it. That's how successful they've been at that. Um, and I mentioned cigarettes in there. Um, I'm not a smoker, so it's not me saying, okay, let's stop for a break. But it does lead me nicely onto my innovation of the week. And it's built on the fact that around 4.5 trillion cigarettes are thrown away annually. Um, and most are just thrown away on the floor, as you as you would imagine. You mm. walk down any street, you're bound to see either chewing gum or um, a cigarette butt, essentially. I think they're like two normal pits of um, litter we see. Um, and an innovation I covered in one of our roundups recently is called Crowded Cities, or it might generally be called Crowded Cities. Um, it's essentially a prototype that, that takes actual crows on a four-phase training system to turn them from birds into waste vigilantes. It's a, it's a really interesting one. They have a, a machine called the crowbar, which is basically put in parks or in public places, and it dispenses a peanut um, and a cigarette butt on the on the same platform. Um, so what will happen is this, this crow will come along and it'll see the peanut and eat it. And then it will essentially train the crow to expect food from this machine. But then, of course, every time the bird arrives on the machine, it no longer puts the peanut there. So they get this idea that there's a process that they have to make that food appear. So um, after the completeness phase, the machine will only offer a cigarette butt to the crow, um, not to smoke or chew or anything. Um, and it won't release food until that crow picks up that butt and drops it into the dispenser. So it's hoped that the crows will start collecting these cigarette butts from nearby areas, putting them in dispensers so that peanuts will fall out and, and they can eat them. Um, of course, you know, cigarettes do consist of kind of toxic chemicals, so the crows would be monitored throughout for, for health and, and whatnot. It's a bizarre mm. idea. Like, I, I would love to be in the room when someone came up with that idea. It's like, you know what, cigarettes need changing. Why don't we get crows to do it? But it's, it's generally, you know... Crowded Cities is a, is a generally, it's been funded, they're, they're generally going to roll these machines out, they're generally going to try it, and it could just be a, a you know, a quick-ish win, it's not going to get rid of all the cigarette spots overnight, but it's, it's a good way to certainly start clearing up litter mm. a little bit, so, you know, we can start with crows and, and build our way up to, to all sorts of animals, maybe we'll even get humans picking up litter at some point, that'd be the, that'd be the dream, won't it? So, that's, that's about it for this week's episode, um... Really interesting one, I think, personally. House parties, mm. um, gamification, um, plastic boats, and, you know, waste crows, waste vigilante crows. It's, it's everything you want in a podcast, essentially. Um, we'll make sure we try and bring as, as insightful stuff back next week. Um, we do have a lot of irons in the fire at the moment regarding interviews, so we should have one back fairly, uh, fairly quickly. Um, in fact, you know, and a little sneak peek coming up, we might even have the dulcet tones of a certain ED editor Back, uh, back on the podcast sooner rather than later. Luke Nichols, he's back from his travels and he is already all systems go, hence his absence today. I mean, he says he's busy. He might just be playing the, uh, he might just be playing the SDG game, you know, trying to trying to take my record or, or mm. something. Perhaps he's going to be the one that challenges Prince Charles. But we'll wait and see. But yeah, he should be uh, back on board soon or at least certainly involved in, in some aspect. Um, and yeah, just a reminder, these podcasts are of course available from iTunes and can also be listened to via the ED website. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know I certainly have. Um, but for now, it's a goodbye from George. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.